1: Hello, this is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Busky Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He's an author, a scholar, a, um, a podcaster, and we've got lots of things today. We'll do a news roundup and with the Nord Stream pipeline. There's evidence that the Ukrainians did it. Christopher Ray faces charges of contempt. We'll get to these and some other stories after these messages. Like to start off with something um, positive. And I do have one thing. I, I was reading an article that the ivermectin, which was um, demonized, if I can say that, about a, a drug um, by the administration, they're finding in 69% of trials that it is showing some efficacy when it's taken early against COVID. Not that we're doctors here, but, but, um, that that was in the news recently. I thought that was some that was no, and that
2: was that, that's a theme that feeds into this whole hysteria about Trump. I mean, Ivermetsin was an old drug. A Japanese Discover won a Nobel Prize. It's one of the UN's authorized most valuable drugs listed because it's extremely important worldwide to stop parasitic diseases. But it has secondary utility that everybody's known about. And that is, it was an anti-inflammatory and it did it had some anti-vival capability as well as anti-parasitical. So the Australians wasn't Donald Trump, and the Americans, it was the Australians who found that they had a theory that it might be useful. And it was. And we know that we knew from the beginning that it curtailed the severity. It wasn't a cure. But it was one of those tools that had we used, it would have saved lives because it was valuable. And I took it when I got COVID, long COVID. And uh, I won't name the doctor, but he said, I know you have long COVID and you've tested negative, but it will have anti-inflammatory propensities if you take a short course and it will be hard. And I did. I didn't cure me of long COVID, but it, it helped a little bit. But it really helps, and it's designed for the acute phase. And this is opens a wider question. And we know now, and I keep track of them because when I got the long COVID, I I read almost two or three hours a night on. And I didn't read blogs. I didn't read, "Oh, I'm sick, help me." I didn't read. I'm not that I'm making fun of people, but all I read was double-blind scientific studies worldwide. That is out beyond the reach of the fda and anthony fauci all over thailand brazil europe you name it and what did you find out that there were about eight or nine drugs that they had used computer scans on you know rapid mega computer scans of all the drugs in the world and their their uh components and what might have some particular anti-rival propensities to this type of coronavirus and have some propensities to stop the psychotone storm and the anti and the inflammatory process. And they came up with them. One of them was ivermectin. One of them was hydroxychloroquine. Not that hydroxychloroquine is a little different. It's a very safe drug. People take it for lupus, but it does have if you have glaucoma or things like that, you can't take it. and i I have that problem with eye pressure, so I couldn't take that. But there were another group, we found out that there was utility with azeseltine. Azeseltine is how you pronounce it. Aspro it's, is the is the trade name. It's a uh, an antihistamine spray, and they found that of all their studies of anti antihistamines, it was actually antiviral and anti-inflammatory. They found that antihistamines in general, Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra, Benadryl had utility. And they were laughed at. And then they found that that old drug, 30 years old, Monolukas, Singular, the asthma drug. It's not just an asthma drug. It's an immune suppressant for leukotrienes. And okay. they found that a cocktail of predisone, Singular, uh, and pepsid, the H2 uh, antihistamine, which everybody knows about. It doesn't have some of the side effects of the proton pump, you know, yeah. inhi- inhibitors, those, uh, you know, Prilosec, but it did, it was useful. So there were doctors who were, when people got really ill and they were, or they were ill and they didn't want to go into COVID, they would say, take Singular, take Ivermedzin, take Pepsid, take some Zyrtec, take this Aspro spray. And and they were having good. I know that because I got Delta in September or October, and I was by myself at Hillsdale College, and I talked to a person who was a doctor, and I those were all off-label usage. And I'd had a prescription for Aspro and Singular. I, I wasn't currently taking it, but I had some older, and I took it all. And I got over Delta in three days. And unfortunately, when I got Omicron, I poo-pooed it. I thought, oh, this is nothing. I've already had Delta. I've had two vaxes. And I didn't take any of that. And then when I oh, had long, co- I know, I would, I could have stopped it, I think. And then when I I was kind of brainwashed, too, because people were making fun of that protocol. And, you know, Fauci and everybody, don't yeah. take off label drugs. We're not going to prescribe. And I didn't take ivermectin I didn't take any of that. I thought, I'm just going to weather through it. And then I went right on the, you know speaking trail i think it was gone 70 out of the next 120 days and it just got worse and worse but yeah. it gets me angry because a lot of people could have been helped by just yeah. common sense safe drugs each one mitigating a little bit an aspect of the the virus and yet fauci had this big pharma you had 96% of these RMNA vaccines are they're safe And they will protect you from being infected, and you will not infect anybody. Oh, we need a booster. Oh, we need two boosters. Oh, we need three boosters. Don't use those drugs. They're not right. You have to use Paxlovid or whatever it is. It was all big pharma propaganda, and there were all these cheap, cheap, inexpensive drugs that we could have saved some of the million people who died. And then what do we do? The guy who's kind of said that, Jay Bachauria and... Scott Atlas, we demonize my university where I work. They tried to destroy their careers. It was really it was really shameful. And as far as I know, the president of Stanford and the faculty senate and the med school has not apologized to either one of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go on. We have lots of current events um, going happening to. You know, recently, a lot of them political. I wanted to address Christopher Ray first. He faces charges of contempt of Congress for, for not providing the records that the House Oversight Committee um, was at, requesting. And I, I, I think what makes me a little bit angry is that these people are paid for and hired by us, and they owe it to our representatives if there's information that they want to our representatives want to know about then they're not it's not their position to tell them no and so as a civilian i'd it may No, what I you're saying, saying is yeah.
2: if you're the head of the fbi then and you are an investigatory agency then you have a higher calling i'm quoting james call me a higher loyalty and that is to the law. So when you have Steve Bannon, who's a private citizen, and it's a trumped up political charge about January 6th, and he says, I'm not coming, well, they 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 indicted him, they put him before a DC stock jury of left-wing people, and they and they convicted him. He was facing a long sentence, and then Trump pardoned him. But my point is that Christopher Ray was what would he feel like if all of a sudden uh, a Republican uh, federal prosecutor wanted to go after him, and and for contempt, and then took it to a Utah jury or a Wyoming jury, and he would be in prison for two or three years. Would he like that? So he was, you know, he was facing some hypocrisy. So he finally caved. But yes. think about it: what he doesn't. In some ways, he's the worst of all of them, because we have Mueller that started this cycle, this 20, this quarter of a century of FBI skullduggery. So he had Robert Mueller and he was put up for the job by James Comey, who was his buddy. They worked together in DOJ, FBI, and we had the phony, you know, uh, I'm going to leak the presidential conversation to the New York times via third party. So we'll get national outrage and then weak Jeff sessions. I like Jeff sessions, but he kind of got bamboozled and panicked and he'll, he'll point a special prosecutor. Oh, and it will be Rob. old good old Bob Mueller. And that's what they did. And Mm -hmm. he tried to run that witch hunt, but he was failing non-compos mentis at times from his testimony. And he turned it over to Andrew. What's his name? Uh, you know the hardcore Hillary Clintonite, and the rest is history. And then we go to the next guy who took over from Mueller, it was Comey. And Comey, we saw what he did in the 2016 election. Hillary was kind of guilty, she probably did destroy subpoena uh, materials. Yes, she destroyed the servers that were under the, the, the devices, uh, but. I don't think anybody would actually try that case because she's a presidential candidate. So we're going to let it go. Oh, but now they're getting mad. So, uh, you know, Anthony Weiner has some stuff we'll, we'll bring. And it was just And then when they caught him and they he was doing all the stuff with the dossier and paying Christopher Steele and lying about it and knew that it was phony and trying to dilute a FISA court with it and then using his agents to work with Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. Then he went up before Devin Nunes's house intelligence committee light his head off. Well, he wouldn't call it lying. He said, I don't remember 245 times. Then we go to his successor was very short lived Andrew McKay. Remember this? page stroke love nest text where they said Andy's going to take care of this i can assure you trump won't win and his wife of course was running as a left-wing candidate in the virginia legislature and he was she was getting what terry mcauliffe clinton packed money and then so you have andrew mccabe was the point man on the hillary investigation think of that oh my wife is getting money from clinton's i'm not biased james comey said i'm not biased and then he got caught lying about leaking because they were not investigating all of the wrongdoing of the of the Clinton Foundation. He didn't want to get that out. So they were leaking that they were. And that was inaccurate. And he's leaking, leaking. And then when Michael Horowitz came along and they asked him under oath, did you leak? No. Did you leak second time? No. Did you leak third time? No. And then a fourth time he lied, I think, in a press conference or something. And what happened? Bill Barr. You know, I had confidence in Bill Barr, but Bill Barr didn't try that. He didn't indict him. So you have a guy that's the head of the FBI four times lies, three under oath. And then we go into Christopher Ray. Enough said FBI at uh, school board meetings, going after parents, FBI at Catholic masses in Latin going after them. FBI private retrieval service for the Biden family, going after James O'Keefe on rumors. He has Ashley Biden's diary where she confesses that she showers with her dad. And then going the secret service with FBI auspices, going after Hunter's gun, trying to find it. Where is it? I guess it's in the dumpster. And I guess he he lied about an application where he lied and said he had never been uh, using drugs, or he left his crack pipe, or he left his laptop. And I guess it was like Joe Biden, hey, 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 Jim Comey, hey, Andrew McCabe, hey, Christopher Ray. Hunter's up to it again. Oh, yeah, what's this time, Joe? Well, you know, he left those crack pipes in that rental car. Oh, I can't help you, Joe. Okay, well, he left his laptop. Can you guys take that laptop and just lie and say that it's Russian disinformation. I know you can't do it publicly, but you can leak that it is, that you've run. Oh, okay, we'll do that. Hey, you know what? My daughter lost her diary. Can you go get it? I think go find it for me. I don't want it out. Okay. Hey, Tunner lost his gun in a bin. That's what they did.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, much like the SS for Hitler, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> are you trying nah. to tell me? Oh, <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know about that, but they were kind of like uh, Stasi yeah but and- this
1: time this time it is they're trying to get um a communication, I guess that they say has um evidence of an alleged criminal sc- scheme involving Vice President Biden. So just so your listeners know what the House Oversight Committee is trying to do, that's what's the evidence they're looking for.
2: Well, the evidence is. Overwhelming. And Joe Biden, you know, he laughed at it and said, show me the money or where would the money go. And we've talked about that in early broadcasts. And the money is Hunter's 50 million dollar lifestyle. It's not yeah. that hard to go through a lot of money when you buy expensive cars. You rent 500 a night uh, hotel rooms. And you live them for months on end. You throw around thousands of dollars to Russian prostitutes. You buy crack cocaine. You have no source of income other than quid pro quo leveraging money. That's what he did. And when you look at Joe's beach house, his main house, beautiful main, his other house, he has three homes. And you can't do that on a vice president's salary. You just can't do it. And you can't make up all that money in four years speaking.
1: But you can make it up if you're the big guy.
2: (laughs) Or Mr. 10%. Mr. 10%, yeah.
1: They, they've
2: lied. The thing about it is once you lie, that's the end of the game. So when Tony Bobolinsky went on national TV and said, yeah, that was me, the laptop is genuine because it shows communications on Hunter's end, and I have the communications on my end. So how did the Russians fake that? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. here's Joe Biden. Mister had all kinds of stuff on there, and people forgot about it. it was uh. Hunter Biden and his niece, who was a procurist, remember? And they were talking about all the types of prostitutes they were going to get for Hunter. And then she, I guess it was Hunter said, uh, she said, I don't do Asian. And he said, I don't either.
1: Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was very racist.
2: (laughs) The whole Biden family is racist. And somebody said, how do you know that, Victor? I know it because he said to black people, hey, junkie. Hey, you ain't black. Hey, gonna put you all in change. Hey, corn pop. I uh, little black boys in the ghetto used to touch my legs and look at my golden hairs. Hey, Satchel Paige was a good Negro. Hey, I have two boys down there working for me. I James O Eastland and Robert, uh, Robert Burr. They were great guys. And don't
1: forget that Barack Obama was clean.
2: He's articulate, too. The first time a black man who'd run for president was clean and articulate. Anybody (laughs) And and he said, I don't want to leave to my kids a racial jungle. Nobody who has been a president, not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama, who with his anti-white racism, you know, get in their face, take a gun to a knife fight, Trayvon, you know, my grandmother's a racist, Uh, everybody knows the police, all that crap. Not Bill Clinton, not George H.W., not George W. Bush, not George H.W. Bush, not Ronald Reagan, not Jimmy Carter, not Jerry Ford, not Richard Nixon, not Lyndon Johnson, not JFK. Not Dwight Eisenhower, not Harry Truman, not F. None of them. You're
1: getting, were. you're getting back to Wilson, though. Yes, you're uh, going. I, I, oh, that's okay.
2: where I was. Yeah, I was going to go to Roosevelt, Hoover, Coolidge, Harding. Ta da! Ta da! Wilson. There you go. There's the first person whose racism was comparable to Joe Biden. Yeah. And and yet Joe Biden is embraced not just by the left, but by the black community, the elite, especially. And, oh, the, and it's strange. basically and then they say, if you say, uh, I don't know, a microaggression, if I don't know, it can be nothing to do with race, but it can be called racist, systemic racism or microaggressions. And here you got the president, of Stein, the elephant in the room. It's an abject racist and doesn't hide it.
1: Yeah. and
2: they And they don't say a word.
1: Yeah. Well, Victor, let's move on to um, the Nord Stream pipeline. And also, there's been a dam recently, and I think it was on the 6th, Nova Kotova. Katho- I hope I said that right, on the Dnipro River was blown up. And the Ukrainians say it was the Russians and the Russians... Well, they haven't actually said it's the Ukrainians, but they're denying that they had anything to do with it. And there's speculation that it's the Ukrainians. Um, But before we look at the dam that was just blown up, I have the Nord Stream Pipeline. There's new evidence that it's. Was probably Ukrainians that blew it up. It and just to remind our listeners, it's a pipeline between Russia and Germany and a gas pipeline. And what I I know we've talked about this before, but what I don't understand is when you listen to the commentators um, discussing this, they. Um, they I don't understand why we care that it was blown up since Russia is our enemy. And they the second thing they always say is, and the government didn't tell us they were involved in this or they didn't tell us what was going on, even though they knew. Like what government would, you know, reveal that kind of <laughs> secrets? I mean, you
2: know what's so funny about this? Us. Who does the left hate now more than anybody? Well, the answer to that is always the one who's the most uh, popular and effective. So it was Rush Limbaugh, right, for a while. And now it's Tucker Carlson. Mm -hmm. And they hate him. And he got on national TV and he said that everybody knows the United States or the United States operatives blew it up. And he was drawing on that article by Seymour Hersh who doesn't have a good reputation, but they just tried. I mean, they got everybody out there. They got the State Department. They got Victoria Nuland. They got the whole cast of characters. They said he's crazy. He's horrible. And he just said, well, why would the Russians blow up uh, this investment when that was one of the biggest sources of foreign exchange as the war goes on and Germany's more and more energy Dependent, they're going to finally break the embargo, and they're going to want that pipeline, right?
1: Yeah, and
2: Russia will make a lot of money. So why blow it up? And they said, "Oh, do that, Tucker's a Democrat." And now it's like, you notice it's like little leak after little leak, like little leaks. So you can see the Biden administration is telling its operatives and the media, and they're all the same. It's a fusion party. Hey. Just put a little bit out here in New York Times. Hey, NPR, just a little bit. Just say, you know, that there's some information from our Europeans that is new. There's some information that maybe uh, a European intelligence agency has seen a Ukrainian uh, team or they were seen renting a boat or they might have had some American expertise. And you know what that was. We knew what they were doing. They wouldn't have dared. They would not have dared blow that up. And risked $140 billion. They have more money spent in 14 months on their military than any country in the world except China, except China and the United States. They have more, they have a bigger military budget over 14 months than does Russia. And that's the fact. And so they're not going to endanger that by going out and saying, hey, screw you, US, we blew it up. No. (laughs) <laughs> no, they we knew exactly. I don't think we did it like Seymour Hirsch says so. Yeah. But I think that we we either knew about it and green lighted or gave them some help. And yeah. So now we go to the dam you mentioned. And-
1: wait, wait, wait. But why are these? Uh, and these are the the right wing commentators. They're outraged that the government didn't let us all in on this. Like that's a secret operation. Why would the government be telling anybody they're going to do that? No,
2: not- <laughs> no, no, no. Be fair okay. to my right wing friends, of which I include myself. <laughs> Uh, Okay, Okay. so be fair to me. I'm not angry, and I think my listeners are listeners. I don't want to claim they're mine. They're not anybody's listeners. They're their listeners. But these listeners, if they identify as right-wing, they're not angry because uh, the government didn't tell them. They're angry that the United States uh, ostensibly is said that they're supplying... Ukraine for defensive purposes, and we're one of the stalwart defenders of the international rules about terrorism. And then we give people the wherewithal or we greenlight people to go commit a terrorist act against a country we're not at war with. Okay. That is what they're angry about. And so, and the same thing. So we go into your damn story
1: damn story yes go ahead
2: okay no it's not a damn story and i think it's a nice story or i don't know it's not damned but that's a joke but my point is that tucker goes on for the first time since his dismissal and he goes on twitter this week right and he first i mean i don't know how many hours but he blows the lid off everything the 16 million right and the left goes nuts And so he just flat out says that the dam was blown up by the Ukrainians. Okay, nobody knows who the dam is blown up by, but he points out that the Russians blew it up. Uh, If the Russians blew it up, he says that the Ukrainians blew it up to stall and flood and make it difficult for the Russians. And then the left and everybody else says, why would they do that? It's going to impede the Ukrainian offensive. as kind of, And then there, a lot of people cited Operation, I think it was called Chastise. It was 1943. Remember, there's a great movie with Michael Redgrave, and, and uh, uh, I think Robert Shaw was in it too, called The Dam Busters. It was about that RFA uh, Lancaster command that went into the Ruhr Valley and they bombed a series of dams on the Moan River and you know what it flooded the Ruhr it killed 1600 people and it was a they used skipping bombs and so everybody said well, it's legitimate because the British did it in wartime but it was a little different uh, this was an inside job that was blown apparently it was blown up you know what I mean? Uh, it's a yeah. huge dam. It's really long. I don't know. Is it three miles long? It's huge. Made in 1956 for hydroelectric purposes, but it was blown up. So Tucker's point was, well, who who's controlling that right now? Is it Ukraine or Russia? Well, Russia says it's theirs. And de facto, if you were a guy from Mars and you went to Crimea and you said, who owns this? They say Russia does, Right. They stole it. They got it again or they had it before and then they lost it when the Soviet Union broke up and then they got it back. And in 2014, so it's been Russian since 2014, essentially. Right. I know that there's been fighting over the borders, but it's in Russian territory. So Tucker's point was, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Why would Russia blow up their most important? Source of water for farming, flood control, hydroelectric power, nuclear plant cooling. Why would they do that in their own country? They consider it their own country, right? Yes. And so they do. And why would we believe the left when they were wrong on the Nordstrom pipeline or the the government? And I don't know who blew it up. But the idea you just dismiss that is crazy. And I, I heard all these commentators, some of whom I know, they were on TV the last couple of days, some from the military, and they said, Oh, it's all it's gotta be gotta be Russia, gotta be Russia. No, it doesn't have to be Russia. It, when you look at all the different criteria of who benefits and who loses, it's a wash. You could argue the Ukrainians are gonna be flooded a little bit, but it's on Russian territory and it's Russian people under Russian rule and they're hurting. Yeah. So,
1: All right. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and come back to talk a little bit about Saudi cutting oil production and Christopher Lick fired from CNN after one year. Stay with us and we'll be right back.
0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: We're back. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. You can find Victor at his website. VictorHansen.com, and you can join us for a free subscription and get our newsletter and a $5 a month subscription and $50 a year subscription and get the VDH Ultra articles as well. There are three each week and extensive reading material, but only for our paid subscribers. So come join us. Victor, I was wondering if you had thoughts on the Saudis. I, I know this has been going on a long time, but there is in the midst of cutting oil production back, of course, to raise prices, as we know, um, is this just a economic move, or is there something political to this?
2: Well, is that a ball question that I'm supposed to hit where the ball's not moving?
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and don't don't give it give us give us up to the audience.
2: <laughs> well, I haven't. I mean, I haven't discussed this topic with you, but yeah, I know. you served it up as a as a is a t-ball yes it is because what happened joe biden candidate for the presidency in 2019 and 20 all he did was blast saudi arabia right and he said it was a illegitimate regime it was a dark age country it was a killer uh it was it was terrible and that donald trump had cozied up to them and you don't you don't want anything to do with them, and da 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 da. da. And the the man, the dar- princes of darkness. Remember, was the Saudi Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman. I guess they call him. What do they call him? NBS. And they yeah. hated. He was young, and he's a reformer. He's the guy that put all those old Saudi guys in a hotel. You remember and locked them up yes. for a while. Paddled the rear ends. So, but wait
1: a second. I I I know this, but but. In cutting back production and raising the price, it will also affect their other buyers like China, like, you know, I don't know that they're exactly cozying up to Iran, but they're not. Uh,
2: But my point is that they're Saudis. (laughs) Saudis care about Saudis. And the Chinese would rather have high-priced oil than no oil. And they're going to get a concession. And we're defending the Straits of Hormuz and keeping the Persian Gulf free for whom? China and Europe. And the Saudis know that. And the Saudis were our friends. They were really, they loved Trump. And they were helping. They they had no problem with Israel. There were reports that the Saudis had told the Israelis, if you want to take out Iran, please, please Do fellow Islamic country. If you need a direct route into Iran, fly over our territory. If you, if the US cuts off uh, bunker buster bombs, hey, we got a lot of depots, a lot of crap, you can come and take it, just get rid of the Iranian because they had attacked them. And what did Biden do? He went out of his way to do two things. First of all, canceled Anwar, canceled all new federal leases, Told horizontal frackers, uh, horizontal drillers and frackers that their days were numbered and banking agencies shouldn't lend to them. He canceled Keystone. And of course, he put off nuclear and he managed to stop all scheduled increases. And oil production at precisely the time that we were coming out of COVID and there was pent up demand and it just exploded. And by the way, I, he said that things are settled down. I just filled up this morning on the way home from work. And you know what gasoline was? Regular gas was 520 in, here in California. So he didn't gas is going to go up. But what is Saudi Arabia? We do. We alienated Saudi Arabia and we pushed it. And so what they what are they saying to screw you? We can't take you guys anymore. We're going to take care of ourselves. You will not protect us from the Iranians. And you want us. That was the price we asked if you wanted us to be nice to the Israelis. So here's what we're doing. We're joining Iran now. We're going to cut a deal because they are oil producers, too. And it's in our interest to gouge Europe and you. So and now that you're stupid enough to cut back your own oil, you're vulnerable once again, as you were before. Whereas under Trump, you said, yeah, do what you want. You can't do anything to us. We're self-sufficient. We're pumping 14 million barrels of oil. We're the world's largest natural gas producer. So screw you. But not anymore. So. Joe Biden then panicked. He thought that he would lose the midterm. So he he drained the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, not drained it, but he he really took a lot out of it. And he hasn't put anything back, of course, because it's too expensive now. In other words, Trump pumped stuff in, Biden pumped stuff out. And now Saudi Arabia is part of the Russian, Chinese, and I guess North Korean and Turkish and iranian axis biden did that and we are no longer self-sufficient so what do we do when we're not self-sufficient and we hate that dirty oil we say to the venezuelans who are enemies we say to the russians that are enemies before the war at least we say to the iranians that are enemies and we say to the saudis who are now our enemies would you please pump oil that's filthy dirty polluting substance, because you're our filthy, dirty people, and you like filthy, dirty substances, but we don't. We have more of it than you do, but we will not get our hands dirty because we're morally superior to you, but we want that dirty, filthy stuff. So, you filthy, dirty people, give us some more filthy, dirty stuff, and send it over here so that we don't have to touch our filthy, dirty stuff. And that's what he did. And they just said, this is ridiculous. Screw you. And now we're paying five dollars. Everybody yeah. said, you know, it's so funny if the Trump was president right now, this thing would be big recession, gas soaring, uh, unexpected, We increased claims for unemployment. That was today. I think it was way higher than everybody said. We're in a recession. And gas is going up. We're still in five to six percent inflation. There are massive layoffs in the tech industry. It's not good. Housing's slowing down. And Joe Biden is responsible for it. So that's the story with the oil in Saudi Arabia. It is. They just take you... SBM, he just takes care of them. That's what he's, that's his job to take care of Saudis. And it's a weak country. It's a corrupt country. It's a Vulnerable country, and it's a rich country. And it's got, I don't know, it's got Iran eyeing it. And it's got some uh, Shia population in the Gulf, and they've got China eyeing it. And they've always said, There's a bunch of thugs in our neighborhood, and they want our big, precious oil, and we, we can't protect ourselves, but we'll sell it to you at a high price if you protect us. And we kind of transmogrified that and said, Well, we don't need your damn oil anymore and we're not going to kiss your ass and we're not going to go fight a war in the Middle East anymore for it but but we want you to keep a lid on things so why don't you join the Israelis and end that crazy sore and you're both our friends and get Kuwait and we'll get Jordan we'll get it all settled and then we'll have a common front against the real existential enemy Iran mm-hmm. and that was that was the idea it was working and Biden came in and thought you know what John Kerry just had a talk with me and he said that, you know, oil is horrible, so we don't want any. We're going to cut back. And then he told us, then I talked to Samantha Power and those people, and they said that Saudi Arabia carved up a guy in the embassy. So they're horrible. So I'm just going to attack them. And we we don't need any oil. We're We've got solar panels now. <laughs> And there yeah. we are. There we are. There you know, we are. We're pumping oil right before. And you know what? He did just announced this week, listeners. He just announced that he was going to open new federal leases for gas and oil. And what time is this? We're in the election cycle now. This man is the most corrupt inept president we've ever had. He's also a mean SOB. Everybody's, oh, it's good old Joe Biden with his aviator glasses. (laughs) He's all Joe. It's Joey. And then Joe Biden goes, you know, my dad told me, hey, Joey. No, he was always a mean SOB. He really went after Clarence Thomas. He tried to destroy Clarence Thomas. He... I believe Tara Reid. I believe all these stories about him. He was a plagiarist. He was a liar. He lies today. He just the other day, he said his son for the nth time was killed in Iraq. He uses personal tragedy to really, you know, gain empathy for himself at the expense of the truth. He's a really bad guy. He's yeah, much he worse is. than Obama. And
1: and to add to the... Um, the Middle East, I, I read, I either read or heard in passing somewhere that the Iranians are starting to gain control of the Persian Gulf over yeah. the United States. Is that true?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is. They have their little, their, their plan was Obama came in and he looked at it and he said, that damn Netanyahu doesn't listen to me. And I interfered in that election to try to get him on elected. We did. We sent a lot of uh, Obama people over there to help the opposition, and he's still prime minister, and he's he, he's he's out of control. He might preempt Iran to save the Jewish people. We can't have that. And you know what? If we draw a map, we'll make kind of like a, 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 a sliver, a, a moon, uh, you know, a crescent moon, and we'll say it starts in Tehran. And then we've got Syria with the Assad's, the Alawites, and then we've got the Hezbollah, Shia, and Lebanon. And then we'll just go over there and leapfrog with Hamas. And we're going to have a counter force in the Middle East to this stupid Abrams Accord. That was Biden's version, but to Obama, we will have a counter force to the Israelis and the Saudis and will be creative tension. So every time Netanyahu acts up and gets on his hand lines, we're going to say, you know what? Look at Iran. They are getting more and more powerful. They may get a bomb. You better be nice to us. Or every time the Saudis start to do stuff, we'll say, hey, look at Iran. We're going to play you off against each other. Now, some of you are going to say, well, Victor, that's real politic. That's Henry Kissinger. That's that's. Bismarck? No, it's not because Iran is a revolutionary, corrupt, evil regime. It's not like Saudi Arabia. I'm sorry. There's degrees of of autocracy. Evil. Yes, <laughs> oh, yes, autocracy.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah.
2: Saudi Arabia. I've been to Saudi Arabia and I've been to Kuwait. They're not. I've never been to Iran, so I'm prejudicial. I, I'm talking to them. I shouldn't be talking because I, I I believe you have to be there, but. From what I understand, Iran is not Saudi Arabia. And when you say, well, it's freer. No, it's not. And more importantly, it's much more anti-American. I know the Saudis were involved in 9-11 and all that, but Iran is an existential enemy of the United States. It is. And the idea that we were going to appease it or try to use it as a foil was crazy. And Biden resurrected that idea. They almost got down on their knees and begged the Iranians to get back in the deal. Yeah. And they and they said, why should we? We're getting, we've got the fissionable material already. We don't need to listen to you. We're gonna have a bomb. We probably had they probably have it now. Yeah. So that's be another legacy of the Biden administration, giving Iran the bomb.
1: Yeah, well, that's been going on since Obama as well. So I think it stopped
2: um, during Trump. Yeah. I do well. Let,
1: well, let's turn to some domestic um, events, I guess. CNN, there's two things I noticed about them today was uh, they, well, they fired Chris Licht after only one year as their CEO. And so if you have any, I, you know, any comments on that, I would be curious. But also the, in CNN, they had an article that the LGBTQ plus community is in a state of emergency because they're being attacked in states that that are restricting gender-affirming care for minors, outlawing teaching about gender identity to young children, and banning books of same-sex couples, again, for young children. And so this is-
2: No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. They lie. They lie. They like 10,000 dogs. What they're saying is uh, they're picking on us. No, that you can't. Conservatives for a long time have not had sexual education to grade level, right where they had I remember this fight in the 80s when my kids were in school, I remember it in grammar school. there was during the AIDS epidemic and stuff they were trying to have pictographs of penises and vaginas, you know, under the idea of health, you know and all that and they and they yeah. said no. and they stopped it. For young kids, right? Yes. And so what the gender people came in and they said, wait a minute, we're not sexual education. We're civil rights. And they snuck in under that. And they said, no, 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 no. We're not talking about sex. We're talking about uh, a third gender. And then as soon as they snuck in, they started having the drag shows and the simulated sex acts. And then they started getting the books and, and they were off to the races. So they always do that. They They try to suggest that the writer, you know, fanatic right-wing censors. And I I noticed this this week they were saying, Mike Pence, he says the government's got to leave education to the parents. And now he wants to tell parents that they can't have transgender. No, they're trying to say to parents that you've got to be very careful before you lop off the testicles of your 12-year-old son or you lop off the breast of your 12-year-old daughter because – that is in the public domain. Now, maybe you can suggest she's transgender. You might even be able to have her counseling. You may even be able to get very dangerous drugs, but you're not going to do certain things to your child till she's of an age. And by the same token, a parent's going to know if a child, may you're not going to send a 15-year-old out of the school and a teacher says, I think all you girls in class should consider whether you need to be transitioned or not. Okay, I'll go down to the clinic. Oh, yeah, we can pay for it. Medicaid, here's $50,000. No, 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 no. You have to have some guardrails against that. This thing is very dangerous because 50 years from now, 10 years from now, this is going to be the hula hoop craze, the pet rock, the Dunkin' Yo-Yo, stuff that phone booth cram into a Volkswagen fad. Mm -hmm. And all the data shows that this exponential growth in people who consider transitioning is faddish. But there's gonna be a lot of lives ruined and heartbreak and tragedy for this left-wing agenda.
1: Yeah, it sure. And is. they've just
2: completely flipped out and they're they're serious. I mean, if I said to our listeners that the person who showed up at Kavanaugh's home was mentally unstable and was transitioning, you would never get that. And you say, Victor, that's not true. I haven't heard that. Or if you say that the shooter in Tennessee. Tennessee the mass shooter yes
1: yeah and at school at the
2: Covent school yeah and if I were to say well they had a manifesto she wrote a he she wrote a manifesto explaining why she butchered three kids and shot three adults at a Christian school and it's an anti-christian rant and it makes the transgender movement ideology look pretty scary, and they're deliberately suppressing it. People say, oh, I forgot all about that. Well, that was the point. They just suppress it. Maybe three years from now, they'll release it. But that's what they don't want to talk about, that transgenderism historically is associated with mental issues. Sometimes it's not. There is such a thing called gender dysphoria. It's a physical problem of people who are born with a male or a female body, but hormonally or brain chemistry-wise, that's not their natural sex. But it's very, very, very rare. Mm. And all of these other lapping, transgenderism, transvestism, all of these are known psychological disorders for 200 years, back to antiquity, they knew about. it, And it's very funny about antiquity, because if you read Diodorus, a historian or or as I said, Catullus's Addis poem, they were able to distinguish very clearly people who cross-dressed that were male heterosexuals, people who were homosexuals, who who acted effeminate, people who went back and forth between both, very rare, but they were different than what they called hermaphrodite. Her, the, genitalia of Hermes and the genitalia of Aphrodite. And those were trans, those were people who had physical dysphoria and they can identify And so this is not new, but it, the perversion of it is new for political purposes. So Joe Biden now is he's basically down to 38, 39 percent. The economy is going in the tank. The border's old. It's a disaster. And he's He's lost the American people. So now he wants to have a second term and they want the left was wondering what to do. And they look, say, hmm, well, we'll do the fascism, sexism, racism stuff. We'll try to get these indictments speeded up. So Donald Trump will be indicted, get a lot of empathy. And I saw tonight my fellow Fox guests were saying that this is not about a coup or destruction of jurisprudence, but it's only about Donald Trump. It's more than Donald Trump. But, and I think Steve Miller and Charlie Hurt and other people were saying this just shows you that you only have one candidate. I don't think that's true, but, you know, uh, I'm trying to stay neutral in this race, but they, they did an injustice to Donald Trump and it was a constitutional injustice. But my point is you can see what the left's doing they're trying to give empathy and they're speeding up the process because they have no popular support and they want him to be nominated very in the, in the race, get him nominated or sure nomination and then decapitate him. And that's what they're trying to do. And, and so it's, uh, it's really tragic what's going on.
1: Yeah, it sure is. What do you make of Christopher Lick? Only one year. Wasn't he supposed to put CNN back in at yeah, least the yes. middle, bring it back to the middle? I guess it,
2: his agenda was kind of like, you know, he used to walk around the airport and you got CNN news and it was you didn't really know who was wit, what and they used to have guys like Tucker Carlson and Blue Dobbs on CNN. Remember? Yeah. Larry King and all he was left wing, but you, it was kind of. It was like NBC, right? It was center left. They're all center left, but it was kind of fair, and it was news. And Ted Turner was kind of crazy, but that's what he wanted to get back. But he he lost. He forgot a a, a very fundamental dictum of political science, and not so many words. that's in the Prince of Machiavelli. If you're going to wound the king, if you're going to go after the king, you kill him. You don't wound him. So if you're going to go out and you're going to change CNN, you sit down in advance. I would have if I was Christopher Lick and they said, clean up that mess and make it politically neutral and get us out of the 300,000 viewers back up to two or three million. I would say, hmm, this SOB, this SOB are the ringleaders and I need replacements. So I'm going to go out to all my farm stations nationwide that carry a CNN link or, or affiliated or or maybe some Fox stations, too. And I'm going to get the best newscasters in Nebraska and, and New York and San Francisco LA, all over. I'm going to line them up or I'm going to raid other stations in MSNB. Whoever is good and can be can have this simulation of, of bipartisanship or nonpartisanship. And I got them already. Now I'm over and I'm going to I'm going to get rid of this aristocracy. I'm going to decapitate him right away. So who would you do? I would go after. The big enchilada, Anderson Cooper, I would have fired him in two seconds. He was the one that said, you know, to Roger Stone or whoever it was, uh, Jeffrey Lord, I think he said, would you if I took a big crap on your, if Trump took a big crap on your desk, you know, and then he yelled and screamed and he's spoiled brat. I would have fired him the first thing and then I would have just gone down. Why did he let Don Lamone in there? He should have fired him on day one. If he had taken that CNN partisan network anchor about eight of them and fired them and got rid of them right away, he put the fear of God of everybody. And then he brought in a whole new team that was prepared in advance. He wouldn't have been in this situation, but he kind of fired. He kind of said, you know, you're going to go from their prime time, but you're going to go to morning. And all that didn't make people angry, but it didn't it it didn't neuter them. Yeah, he, he did finally, you know. He fired a few of them, but they weren't the main characters. So he kind of wounded the king and the king got angry and crushed him. So and, he, you know, his ratings not they didn't go up because his own team was undermining him. Oh, yeah. So they weren't nonpartisan. They were mm-hmm. still being partisan. And they thought, well, he fired Don Lamone finally and he fired some people. Ryan error, And so he's done firing. So I'm going to go back to my stick. Usual self. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My my partisanship, slanted news. And yeah. so he was, it's the worst thing you can do is to be a weak revolutionary, or as I said, to plot a coup and then not go through it. Or as Napoleon said, to, uh, I don't know if it was Marshall Sewell or which one. I don't think Sout was a good general, but it was one of the nineteen marshals of France. He said, "If you take, if you're going to take Vienna, then take Vienna. Don't hesitate. Yeah. You know, this is yeah. sort of what they told Mark Clark. If you're going to go north, then go north and break the Gothic line. Don't screw around in Italy. Yep. And that's really important." Patton yeah. said, "The ever some good for,
1: advice." The yeah.
2: on, Patton just used. Everybody should read Wars I Knew It by George Patton. It's a post mortem collection of some of his aphorisms. And He calls it the Unforgiving Minute. You get a chance once in your lifetime in certain key areas. And you take it, run with it. Yeah. Something I never did, and I I always regret that there were occasions in my if I had just pressed, you know. Yeah. But I, you know, uh, when I've been in political fights at, in academia or politics. And somebody's attacked me. I kind of said, "Well, it's not worth it. I should have just gone for the juggler and like and got 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 it over with. But then, if I sort of just let it go, the person would keep attacking you and keep attacking you, and then you'd blow up too late, and it was not good. If you're gonna do something, do it and get it over with." And yeah. he didn't do that. he he used half measures and belatedly, so.
1: Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back for the last segment here with lots of people announcing or lots of um, candidates announcing themselves for uh, the Republic running for the Republican um, presidency. In
2: I think they're running actually, Sammy, for the Republican vice presidency.
1: (laughs) That might be true. So we'll be right back. Stay with us.
0: figure lending LLC DBA figure equal opportunity lender NMLS 1717824 terms and conditions apply visit figure.com for more information for licensing information go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org
1: we're back and thanks everybody for listening and Victor so I I have two um headlines one from a friend of yours Roger Kimball and the other one Peter Navarro of the Washington Times. I thought they were very revealing. In the Spectator, Roger Kimball's headline was um, about Chris Christie. He writes, "Bold, <laughs> bold prediction: Chris Christie will not be the nominee." <laughs> and the whole article was tongue in cheek. From there, I mean, more or less, and and very.
2: Um, uh, I know I've known Roger Kimball for a long time. <laughs> it was fun. He, he's He's larger than life. I mean, he's the editor of Encounter Books. He's the editor of the New Criterion. He writes, I don't know, eight or nine books. He writes, he edits the New Criterion. He has four or five columns a week. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. And they're all witty and they're kind of self mocking sometimes. He's not arrogant. He's humble. And he's, and they, and they, he, He's very brave he he writes stuff and he knows that left people the left wing people hate his guts especially in Washington in New York where he operates he has to and he doesn't care yeah so yeah. he's a very good writer and he's I always listen to Roger
1: he said about Chris Christie in the article that his <laughs> preferred rhetorical weapon is the blunderbuss <laughs> I
2: think he's I think he's sort of like a Japanese um suicide submarine or maybe a torpedo or something his, Yeah, torpedo is a better metaphor given his problems with weight i suppose but what he's supposed to do is he's he's supposed to be um, aristophanes wrote a play called the knights you know and he's making fun of pleon the demagogue and he's got the Polypragmon. this is a guy who's just He's awful. He goes in there and he screams and yells and everybody hates him. Right. But he has an effect on things. And because you you can't silence him. And his role right now is I don't know if he wants to be attorney general, that he's that he wants to cut a deal with Biden. Uh, excuse me, with Trump. Uh, I don't I don't think
1: he could cut a deal with Trump, not
2: Trump, but I think he thinks I don't I know he can't cut a deal with Trump. And I know that DeSantis wouldn't hire him. Yeah. But so I don't know what his s- scheme is other than notoriety, because he is a narcissist and egomaniac. Yeah. But he is, in a weird way, articulate and rhetorical. So he's going to go out there and just cover the whole map of the campaign and trash Trump, trash Trump, trash Trump, goad him, bait him, Twitter him, everything. And so he can. He's on a vendetta and he worked for Trump and yeah. he knows that Trump hates people that are disloyal. So he's going to really try to go after him. And I don't it's know who's, be- who is aiding. I know he doesn't get along with DeSantis. He doesn't get along with Trump. I don't know what his agenda is other than to destroy Trump. He kind of like Kelly on George Conway, you know, he just has an Charles Sykes, George, Conway, Bill Crystal, David Fromm, certain people have an obsession with Donald Trump. He does. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then the second one is Peter Navarro in the Washington Times said that the campaign's actually gonna be Trump versus the anti-Trump cartel. <laughs> and he says that they're gonna all do they're gonna do all the work that the Democrats need to have done.
2: And the Democrats I, I don't know. They treated Peter Navarro very badly. Um, the Biden remember that he was walking down the street and they put handcuffs on his feet uh, yeah. about I guess it was January sixth. And it was all to intimidate him. That was another stuff of the Biden-FBI consortium. But I think what he's saying is, although he's a very strong Trump partisan, he'll, he if Trump were to win, he'd be back in the administration, along with Stephen Miller, et cetera. And they all did a good job. But I think what he's saying is in 2016, if you counted up all of the other candidates, Carly Fiorina's two or three percent. Ben Carson's four or five percent. John Casey's two or three percent. Uh, Ted Cruz was eight or nine percent. Marco Rubio's 10 or 12 percent. You add them all together. They were higher than Trump and they all thought that they could unite, but they all had egos and they couldn't. And Donald Trump played each other, trade one off of the other. You know, sometimes it was lying Ted Cruz and Sometimes it was my friend, Ted Crude. Sometimes it was Marco Rubio. And then sometimes it was Rubio's got a lot to say. (laughs) It was very funny what he did. But I mean, again, nobody underestimate Donald Trump. I'm not saying he has the ability to get 51 percent, even in a fair election, but nobody underestimate his political skills. And, And just because they're obvious and they're transparent, what he's doing doesn't mean that they can't be done with an element of genius. If you said, Victor, I want you to do exactly what Donald Trump is in an academic fighters, I couldn't do it because he has showman capabilities, charisma, and he's, it's funny. So that's what he's doing. And, and he's trying to break them apart. Uh, and what he does not want and what Peter Navarro does not want, he calls up the anti-Trump cartel, is all of the candidates coalescing together behind one, which would at this point be DeSantis. I had a conversation with a wonderful person. He's a very well-known uh, philanthropist. Uh, I've always admired him. I had a long talk. I can't mention any details about him, but he poured he he told me that a lot of people were talking about a paradigm and he asked me what I thought about it. He didn't, he, he was such a gentleman. He didn't endorse it or reject it. He just put it out there. And he represents, I would call, he's not a rhino at all. He's a very staunch, very well-off conservative, but he said this that people in Republican circles had been talking about kind of a national agenda. Right. So After a certain point, whoever is the front runner by a margin, maybe it's DeSantis at at this stage in the game, the second, but who knows? And who knows if Trump will be first? So it's too early to tell. But if it were to continue that DeSantis is second to Trump, but behind him by a considerable margin, but the other candidates had enough aggregate popularity to make a challenge 50-50, then they all should coalesce and they all should be announced at, with a national uh, kind of a Newt Genrich plan for America, a national, gener- you know, in the first hundred days, we will fire Christopher Ray and reform the FBI, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. on the board. We will build the wall in the first three months, but then actually say, and this is going to be my DOJ AG, this is going to be my vice and and take all of candidates that will be suitable. Not all of them are suitable and announce in advance what positions in the government they would have and make a national coalition to rival Donald Trump. And I, I hadn't thought of that, but. That's what Peter Navarro was talking about when he says sure. the anti-Trump cartel. Yeah. And maybe, maybe he's heard about that. I don't know. But it's yeah. going to be an interesting. My, again, my only interest in the whole thing is I want to support the nominee. And, whoever they are. And I want, them, I want them, whoever they are, I want them to have a mega agenda. And so far, there's about four people that three or four I could support. Yeah. But I, and and I just want everybody to unite behind the nominee, because whatever differences we have among us as conservatives, they pale into this existential fight we have with this Marxist socialist progressive wokeism.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Victor, that's the end of our show today. Thank you very much for all of the the. Interesting things, actually, that you've told us about our our news, our current news.
2: Yeah, we carried a lot. We covered yeah. in the last two shows, uh, D Day and the bombing campaign, and the Second Front campaign, and uh Thirty Years War, and cam- we did a lot of cover of uh, different. We try to do that topics. so that. Some of it, I know not everybody likes history, not everybody likes military history, not everybody likes contemporary politics, but if you just listen, we'll try to get as many different topics as we can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And thank you to our listeners.
2: Thanks, everybody, for listening. I, I really look forward to talking to you again.
1: This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off.